Are you a budding entrepreneur who thinks you need the perfect idea to get started or someone with a great idea unsure whether you can actually build it and then likely you're not even going to get started and who knows how many good ideas have died that way before they even saw the light of day but you know a secret it doesn't really have to be like that you don't need to have the perfect idea and you sure don't need to have a million dollars to execute it today we're going to talk with Karthik Sridharan founder of Flexible who found a way to start and grow his business to seven figures on just a $60 tech stack. We're going to discuss his career journey and also how he came upon the opportunity that he's now building into this powerhouse of a business. And also we're going to get from him his secrets on how to build out a grand vision if there is a grand vision on a shoestring budget. But before we begin, a couple of quick reminders. If you like this episode and we are absolutely sure you will please do rate it 5 stars and also please follow the show so you don't miss on any of the great guests that we have coming up also if you need a recap after the episode feel free to head over to crazytalk.online to read the full transcript so with that said Karthik welcome to shop talk it's a pleasure to have you with us today and maybe we could start with a short intro to yourself to flexible and what is this business all about thanks so much ahmed thanks for having me here a real pleasure it's a bit about me i am an engineering grad i graduated from bitsalani in 2012 and worked for about 3 years in jp morgan investment banking couple of years in mumbai a year in london thereafter and it was a good time where i learned a lot towards the end is when i realized that possibly it's not a world for me as you can imagine the investment banking hours were pretty bad working about 16 to 20 hours a day continuously and i felt it wasn't the kind of work i wanted to do i didn't feel passionate about it i didn't think that i was making good enough impact and i wasn't working with the kind of people i wanted to i quit job there and that's when i moved back to india and i felt that a good next step for me might be an mba just to give me some time to figure out what i want to do next because i wasn't clear about that But I think what JP Morgan taught me was all the things that I didn't want in life. It taught me that having a lot of money definitely doesn't mean that you'll be happy. One specific thing that I realized I want is that I wanted something that I was really happy doing every single day rather than just chasing something that may give me happiness about 5 to 10 years into the future. So yeah, I got into uh, IIM Ahmedabad, one of the MBA schools in India. Yeah, that's where the journey of Flexible started. In brief, Flexible is a vetted network, a curated network of freelance developers and designers. We have built this exclusive network, and we connect them with tech startups and companies across the world. Essentially, we we're just solving the problem that companies have with tech hiring through the process of ensuring that they work with quality individuals. So, the entire idea of Flexible came in during my time at IBM Ahmedabad. It's been now. It's sort of unreal when I say this. It's been seven years since the day that the idea came into my mind, and now officially it's been about five years since Flexible has started and we've gone into it full time. That's actually quite an impressive journey. And may I also commend you on the fact that you've come to this realization about money not being everything, and kind of realized what you may better want out of life very early on. I don't think people in their 30s 40s 50s maybe even in their 60s really come to that realizations so it is amazing that you actually had that kind of insight on yourself so you mentioned that flexible started during your mba and 
Is that because you had this flash of inspiration one day or like a light bulb moment that made you start this? Yeah, that's the proverbial entrepreneurial journey starters and kid. You have a the apple falls on your head and you suddenly realize there's gravity. No, it didn't happen so for me. As I said, it wasn't a journey of basically finding a problem and then realizing that all my life has to now be dedicated to solving it. It was more about realizing the kind of life I wanted to lead. So, as I said, it was about doing something I was super happy about and when I joined uh, the MBA school, it just turned out that the very first things that we started discussing was more about the internship placements, jobs, our CVs versus actually just discussing the kind of skills we want to build, the kind of career we wanted, you know, the larger things that would make us happy in the longer term. So, I don't know if that's sort of immature to think at that point in time that that's what the college would have given me, but that's what I wanted from it. So, when I realized that's not what it would give me, I decided to quit the placement process, or the internship placement process at least, and figure that maybe I should try my hand at building something of my own. I didn't realize at that point in time that could be something that would give me happiness. I just wanted to give it a try. I came up with a lot of ideas and maintained what I call an idea book. Yeah, just a lot of things that I noticed that I could, that's possibly a problem that would be interesting to solve. And I used to call my friends to my room and ask them to critique it and tear it apart so that together we could come up with something better. That sort of mindset sort of carries on even to today, which is to ensure that the best idea wins rather than just ensuring I push my agenda anywhere. One of the ideas that came up in the process was flexible. Most of my other ideas were in the B2C sector. I realized that that might again mean a journey of raising huge amount of VC rounds and that wasn't again a kind of lifestyle I wanted to lead. And at the B2B sector, especially the one flexible I felt could be something that we could build. I wasn't against VC funding, but possibly not raising a huge amount of money. I felt it was an important problem as well. It was around the same time that the startup ecosystem was booming in India and also globally. And you could see some really huge amounts of money being raised by companies and they wanted to scale their teams and one of the major pain points was being able to scale their tech team. We felt that instead of just trying to solve the permanent hiring problem, which is hiring people uh, as employees, Maybe what we could actually look at is, is another solution to solve the talent problem and the freelance ecosystem came to mind. Even in the freelance ecosystem, what we felt was that a major problem that it suffered from was the notion of it being totally, of it not having quality at all. There being a lot of lack of trust between the parties, you know, the companies thinking that they're going to get cheated by talent who will possibly leave their product in between and run away and the talent thinking that, would I even get paid for this? Right, and we felt that building a trusted network in between could solve that problem. Especially, there was a lot of Uberization of various different models at that point in time. Right, so anything you would say, okay, let me just make a marketplace out of this, and then I would use tech to solve the problem. We weren't thinking differently in the sense that we also wanted to use tech to solve the problem. But our our point of difference in thought process was more around the fact that when you uberize things which have simple smaller skills like when i say smaller maybe not as complex in nature for shorter durations like uber which is like a short ride driving which is not a very complex thing you can use an uber model but when the skills start getting really when you start talking about software development as you said it's not homogeneous there are skills which are very different and then the duration of this engagement also becomes really long and it starts getting into months 
a simple review rating system doesn't work and there's a lot at stake over there i quite identify with that because i've actually been using upwork for a long long time earlier long back i used to have a startup and i used to have well not an idea book but all random ideas and then i would try them out via freelancers and so i would use upwork and you're right because you see a star rating but let's say i'm looking for let's say a python programmer star rating doesn't tell me that much so then you go and look at all the reviews and if the person is relatively new on the platform they won't have any reviews so they will lose out so it is a difficult decision to do that and so therefore i mean i totally get the problem that you're trying to solve and it makes sense and i'd also want to highlight one interesting kind of for me a sudden realization which is you know even in industries which you think the problem is solved like there are massive freelance platforms and you think as a beginning entrepreneur you might think oh my god like i'm not going to compete with that you found an angle which is for a specific requirement those platforms don't work at all and so that's a really good insight and a good thought process that you applied actually just extending that point typically for self founders think that if you find competitors in your market it's actually a bad thing people become really sad when they see that they want the most novel idea that's never seen the face of earth right and uh, competitors actually are a validation of this concept now whether you can have an angle which you can bring to the market which is different which you can carve out your own space in it is a question but it already shows that there is a problem that exists and you just need to have your own angle do something differently execute better and you can coexist in the same market and of course it helps that this particular tech hiring market is really huge as well so there can be many winners in the market and the typical one person wins it all kind of mindset is necessary in this market again is a point in itself that it is a huge market and so some people may be put off again by that huge market big competitors oh my god like what am i going to do over there but because there's a huge market chances are the gaps between competitors is the place that you can play in which is effectively what you found so that's fantastic but it also sounds like to do this kind of a thing you'd have to build like a huge tech stack right to make a marketplace and all of that stuff work so i'm sure you started with a lot of tech yeah of course we did we were first time founders and you know like most founders we thought tech is the true goal and the the messiah that would give us enlightenment and we did that we built a product during our mba school itself and we didn't try to understand the problem better we just felt that you know we knew that we were going to make hundreds of millions you know we were solving for that already as it would happen uh, people were not interested in using our product and uh, it sort of failed and we recognized it as the problem with the product rather than with the approach so we built a second product as things would have it we in the second product phase and we were left with an empty bank account and we were at a stage where we weren't super uh, enthused to go and raise vc round obviously round so we felt that uh, okay well, what are we going to do we don't have money we can't keep doing this iterations of products forever so we decided that we need to do whatever we can to actually just make money so for folks like you who are relatively early in your career at that point who've got two failed products now and from an excellent b school i'm sure there must have been pressure right both for yourself which is why am i not doing the thing where all my batchmates must have already gone on to becoming whatever they've become and maybe your friends relative society is also telling you basically the same thing so did you have that kind of pressure and how do you deal with that i think there are two parts to it one is i think about my co-founders it's a very personal journey that each one takes right and we are very 
individual personalities they get along amazingly well but they are very individual personalities and they had their own journey to be comfortable with this entire concept of failure for me given that right from uh, my jp morgan days when i quit that particular job it was uh, my salary was around 100000 pounds or something at that point so when i decided to quit that job i already faced some of these kind of criticism right which is which was like my friends telling me that this is the stupidest thing that you can do you know a few years down the line uh, we'll be way ahead in our careers and you will really regret this and that line is actually really pinched in my memory because i felt it was a big motivator not to prove them wrong in terms of beating them in the career but that's such a wrong way to live life right like i was super miserable doing the job that i was doing at that point of time so no amount of money would possibly give me happiness so it also helped that my lifestyle wasn't super fancy where right? i didn't need too much money i didn't face peer pressure and my family was super supportive of so that's great so you did have some let's say pushback from people but again i think it's your internal compass and we mentioned this at the start which is the fact that you already set that kind of a direction which is impressive but that's what essentially kept you on track and the fact that you were supportive family obviously helps you know money is important you need to survive you know after a certain point in time is money everything is the question and for me it wasn't and of course having a supportive family is super important and it's been a very important part of the journey of tour but the problem is at that time you had no money or you were getting to a point of no money how did you manage to do that there's always two sides to the story one is about all the despair that it gave us but the other side was we no longer could fool ourselves into thinking that we were going to make hundreds of millions we had to make just some money to survive the next few months and that shaped our mentality which our focus was always about how are we going to get through the next couple of months we opened up a google sheet threw all our two products into the bin said that's not helping us whatsoever we just had a simple marketing website where people could come and find us read about us but other than that all the work was done on a google sheet we had two tabs called freelancers and companies and all the conversations were done manually over linkedin we used to and note down the freelancers who were really high quality have a conversation with them similarly reach out in our personal network find companies and connect the two of them manually over mail and then invoice them manually by making an invoice in pdf so it was just trying to make money the old way running a building a business encountering problems one after the other and trying to solve for them you know very logically rather than saying okay how is tech going to solve this for me so it got us to a mindset where we immediately started making money and it was we slowly started expanding our horizon so it was not about the next week but like the next month not the next month but the next three months so we slowly started expanding our vision around things tech typically is uh, expected to solve all the problems and we our mindset actually changed to understanding that we need to nail the solution ensure that our solution really solves the problem that we set out for and then thinking of how tech can be used to scale it rather than trying to use tech to actually solve the problem and then realizing that the problem is not being solved by the solution whatsoever this really i think got us through those months in the first year where we ended up making about 100000 dollars or so just through google sheets and nothing else wow that is quite inspirational that you could make 100000 dollars on a google sheet which is fantastic then actually for discussion on tech enablement i think segways us into a really interesting part of the conversation which is the 60 dollar tech stack the reason why we are chatting is because i saw this post from you on linkedin saying hey you know so we got to wherever we are today 
with $60 in monthly spend on tech and that was such a kind of unusual statement that I thought I have to reach out to you. Tell me more about that. Essentially you're saying you did everything manually and then slowly implemented this tech enablement. So how was that journey and how did you kind of think through things? Like, of course, one one we need to recognize that tech has become more and more affordable and accessible. It's not the same thing like in the 90s. In the 90s, if you don't know to code, you can't build a tech startup. I think things have changed to a very large degree, and it took us time to recognize. And I say this as a founder of a startup that actually connects tech startups to development. Right? It's sort of paradoxical. Like that, I'm trying. I built everything on uh, no code. and the focus was as we did we started with google sheets in that way pages then started recognizing the bottlenecks that we were facing and those were bot real bottlenecks they were in fictitious ones that we thought we would face many years into the future which we should solve today so we were just trying at every point of time to find those bottlenecks which tech can solve which would unlock the next level of scale and it wasn't about immediately thinking about tens of millions or even hundreds of millions or whatever but it was about just unlocking the next level of scale so i typically think of it in orders of magnitude okay if you are at $10000 and $100000 $100000 then a million not directly into the billions of dollars so for us it was like after like we we were manually putting it into google sheet so we felt okay now this is getting ridiculous maybe we should have a form why can't we just request people to fill it to a form so we opened up an airtable form and asked them to fill the details to it and then we recognized a pattern in the kind of mails we were sending and we realized it was taking us a lot of time writing mails manually so we automated a lot of those mails through zapier and then we were facing a bit of difficulty in making recommendations to companies because the database had grown quite big and at that point in time we wanted to integrate it with the crm so we integrated the form with the crm again using zapier one by one it was all about using already built products which are there in the market and just seeing how we can use them to our advantage and then connect them all together using zapier and think about these kind of no code tools that were already there in the market i think having a very archaic approach to building tech costs startups today so thinking that you always need to own your own source code is not necessary i think can no code scale forever i don't know and already there are things that we are now going to shift into code as we are growing but can it validate your startup get a business moving 100% right like and that needs to be your goal can you create something there was nothing before and no code allows you to do that very affordably and for us in those early days it was about making that something not trying to make the next big unicorn that would be in the front page of the national newspapers so it was always about un- unlocking the next level of scale and that sort of got us to the 60 dollar mark in our local startup okay so if i summarize all the stuff you said over here you start out first find a problem and then you solve that problem manually so just do everything by hand uh, okay and using google sheets but then as you hit bottlenecks in trying to reach the next order of magnitude you solve those bottlenecks with piecemeal commercially available technology wherever you can get it and then as you reach some point where maybe that is not going to work anymore then you think of the code or then you think about becoming a tech company or whatever you want to be yeah it's it's about the popular narratives right? who te- defines what a tech company is right who's to say so if i don't write my own code is that not a tech company it's about thinking about popular narratives and serving that or serving the success of this startup 
always optimize for the success of your startup. Who cares what the world is? Whether people consider us as a tech startup today because we are on a no-code stack, or they say that we are a non-tech startup because we are a no-code stack, I really don't care. We make money. We solve problems for our customers. That's the most important. So, actually, I have a sort of a different question here also. Many small businesses would have approached this differently, which is to say, okay, I've hit a bottleneck. Let me now go and hire more people. Or I sort of know marketing, but I don't know how to make it any better. So let me go hire some designer or whatever. So why did you not take that approach? At the end of the day, I have to say that yes, we have an engineering mind. So we want to infuse tech at some point in time. It's not that we are averse to tech. That helps and that always is pushing us to look for easy tech solutions. It wasn't about coding it, but at the same time, not ignoring the presence or the usefulness of tech. That certainly helped. Then second was, of course, we were bootstrapping the entire journey, so we couldn't just keep hiring people indefinitely. Till even early last year, we were just about 12 people in the team. That included three founders. So we were a very lean team, and the focus was always to get more done from less. We didn't want to see the success of our company as uh, being a 50, 100, 200 member company, but more about the impact that we can create with as as few people as possible. So I think that mindset really helped. We aren't averse to hiring where we have to, because at the end of the day, talent, good quality talent, whether we are helping our customers or even internally, they can really move the needle. But if tech can do it, why not? And see, that's another place where I think you're. Going counter narrative, right? Because again, the vanity metric is that I run a company which has a hundred people in it, two hundred or whatever. Essentially, you are playing against so many of the common things that typical MBA from IMA would be thinking of. Oh, I need VC funding, but you are not doing that. Oh, I need to have a gigantic company, but you are not doing that. I need a five-year vision and be a hundred million dollar company, but you are not doing that either. So this is interesting because it shows that. having a clear focus and sticking to that does achieve success and possibly achieves it fairly reliably as well i mean essentially you've been learning as you go and uh, focusing on the next step and the next step which is got to where uh, where you are today i also wanted to ask what are some of the other challenges so this is about how you have got to where you are as a bootstrap startup but a company like this which needs to rely on itself for money obviously must have a lot of challenges against Funded startups or against your other competitors. So, what are some of those issues that you face? Oh, great question. It's not easy building a bootstrap startup for sure. At the same time, I think throwing money at problems is not always the answer. So, if possibly we had money at the beginning of the journey when we already had made two products, we wouldn't have stopped at the two failed products. I think we would have made ten more failed products and you know started on the. Cycle till we uh, totally burn all the money. So I think money constraints help. It makes you think. I think of things in a very fundamental, foundational fashion, which helped us to uh, you know get through the initial days. The focus was also to not build a huge team to be able to embrace things that we didn't know and to actually upskill ourselves at all points in time. We were first-time founders. We didn't know anything. Like marketing, I knew nothing about marketing other than what I read in textbooks. And most of the textbooks actually just fail in front in front of practicality. I didn't know what SEO was. So all those things, my founders and I, we all three of us had a very similar mindset of saying, okay, we need to get dirty in terms of actually understanding what how companies are built, how sales is done, how products are built ourselves, instead of just hiring someone 
because I think a lot of funded startups think they can hire their way out of problems, right? You don't know marketing, hire a market. I don't know how to build a product, hire the best developer in the market. And we couldn't do that. So it was tough, but it also meant there was a bit of an opportunity to upskill ourselves. And we were able to also do that because there were no guns, in, guns to our head, right? There was no metrics that we had to hit the next quarter or we had to hit so that we could raise the next round. So we recognized that a bit of patience and trust in the process could get us to the next level of scale. And that's how things are in there. Like, you know, you are a failure for four years and suddenly you're an overnight success. So it, it was not necessarily a failure for four years, but it was a very slow burn for us. The hiring aspect was tough, but yeah, we solved it through upskilling. And the other aspect was around PR, which I think we see funded startups get, get very easily. Nothing against them, right? Like, they, uh, I think a lot of media publications see what sells and I think the funding number is being huge and having a unicorn status really helps. So yeah, I think they write about that. For us, it was really tough, you know, to get ourselves published in your story. It took us, I would think, eight or nine months. It was really long. I, I remember my co-founder who was talking with a concerned person. He had to follow up so many times and we felt that the media publications were against us you know that was the narrative that we thought it was a very defeatist attitude i felt we had to just recognize that outsourcing even the pr aspect and expecting them to write our story was not fair we as founders needed to own our own story own our own narrative it was a bit tough for us we were all social media averse people none of us had accounts on social media but we recognized what we had to do, it was our responsibility. Swan suggested that he would take care of operations and Rishikesh and I should do the branding, so to say, of Flexible. Rishikesh and I took that on and the focus was largely to just go and share our experience, you know, share our mistakes, which we had made tons of, so it wasn't tough. You know, share a few successes that we had, a few milestones. And it resonated with people, the fact that we were bootstrapped and I think that's what I would say to all bootstrap companies out there. Own your own story, own the narrative. People want to support you because they see you as the underdog. It helps you and it helps them support you if you give them a compelling narrative to support you. But that's your responsibility. You shouldn't expect free meals in terms of getting easy media for yourself. So it took us time and given that it wasn't necessarily our personality, we slugged it out and yeah, it helped us. It's definitely something I think Flexible's brand has grown over the last couple of years. You mentioned something about took, what, four years or something like four years of slow burn and then kind of things took off. So it wasn't really a straight line kind of path, is it? Like every year you just make progress in an obvious sort of manner. I wouldn't say we didn't make progress. I think even like our numbers certainly were growing. Definitely not in the way that we imagined in the MBA school and the kind of projections we put on the Excel sheet, you know, the beautiful numbers and amazing presentations. So it definitely didn't align with that. And it was tough, right? As in when reality meets your expectations, it's not a pretty sight. And we had to recalibrate and get ourselves to believe that we are going to get, you know, build something that we are proud of. Yeah, so the first few years was tough and that's where I think bootstrapping it differs from VC funding. VC funded startups, which is in the sense that the first couple of years are very tough for bootstrap startups. You know, you're fighting with constraints and all the things that you could do, you have to do it yourself. But once you're able to get through those years and see the light of day on the other side, I think it becomes a lot easier. Versus I think liftoff for VC funded startups is a lot easier. 
but it's a constant journey of them from one fundraise to the next and both have their pros and cons i'm not a person who say that it's absolutely one choice versus the other it's a question of of course the space you're in it's a question of the kind of startup and the culture you want to build within the company and largely about the path you want to take personally as a founder as an entrepreneur you need to like a lot of times a lot of things are spoken from a business perspective but i think it's very important to think about it from a founder perspective as well what aligns with your own personality because at the end of the day you need to do the hard work of many years and it, even if you're a vc funded startup it's not going to happen overnight it's still going to have to slug it out so can you slug out in that journey in that context amongst the kind of pressures that that kind of journey takes on each kind of journey presents its own freedom and presents its own responsibility the freedom for one is actually absolute carnage for the other right you can destroy the other so choose the freedom that you would enjoy and the responsibility that you would thrive under so i think that is super important okay so tell me something so just going back to the the 2 3 years to kind of get settled thing how long did it take you to get to a place where you were we were no longer worried whether this is going to succeed or not or at least not worried about the your sustainability of yourselves and the business i think to a certain degree i wouldn't say it ever goes away i think it just becomes painter so even now i have questions and i have doubts but the doubts are good it keeps you realistic it ensures that you don't get too arrogant and you realize that there are things that you don't know for sure right like now i want to scale the company i believe that we've reached a phase where now we can scale the company but there are so many unknowns for me even today like i especially hold my entire skill set which i have to fill in over the next year and similarly for my co-founders as well so i think it doesn't entirely go away but i think over the last year growth does bring a certain amount of positivity it has brought in that but the fact that the four years before that uh, we could we slugged out in the i don't want to call it the worst of times but i just want to say in, in the tough, toughest of times yeah in the challenging times it sort of tells us that yes possibly we can push through any other challenges that come in the future so i think we are necessarily not in survival mode anymore so it happened over the course of the last year but we aren't entirely fooling ourselves into thinking that okay survival is not a metric at all we still are there is a possibility of us going bust and you wouldn't necessarily be worrying about that every day to lose against your own self right like just kill your own positivity but at the same time it helps in being realistic so i think so that's the focus but yes i think now we want the right to be able to think for the next 3 to 5 years we regularly say this internally as well you know there's a lot of quotes out there of jeff bezos and steve jobs and so on where they talk about the next 5 year vision but i think a lot of people don't necessarily recognize that that's not relevant to an early stage startup you have been on the right to talk about a 5 year vision so i think today we have the luxury and sort of deserve to be able to think of that long but 5 years ago we were wrong we didn't deserve to do that and we were doing that and that's why we failed in the first couple of products i would say expand the vision organically over a period of time so start by looking at the next week the next month slowly expand it to 3 months 6 months 1 year and then get to a 5 year horizon don't think that you need to directly think of the next 5 years just because all you know the popular narrative tells you that you need to be a visionary every steve jobs as a was the 
back from that was actually done the hard work of actually doing things that and that's only get them to survive that so yeah i think that's a perfect place for us to end this discussion the fact that you don't not everybody needs to be a visionary you just need to get the job done thank you so much for sharing your journey with us and i'd like to just summarize your lessons for our listeners i think i got like five or six points so first point which stood out for me was you don't need a brilliant idea and you don't need a lot of money to get started the second point was actually something you said later which was you know just think about what you're doing this week next week then once you've kind of sorted that out think in months then maybe think in years don't have to start thinking about a five year vision right from the start third one is for bootstrap startups obviously the thing is to first make money so do whatever you can to make money don't worry about whether it is vc amenable or whatever just get the cash flowing in and the related point here is don't think about solving big problems for the long term just solve what is in front of you right now which gets your business to the next order of of magnitude and as you keep doing that you will find that you're growing in that regard another one which i really liked was doing things yourself so first of all manually and yourself and handover only later when either you can't do it anymore or you've learned enough about it so that when you do hand it over you know what it takes and you aren't it's not going to be some black box that you don't know anything about the last takeaway i had was the first 2 to 3 years are painful the doubts maybe never go away but it gets easier after the first couple of years and if you can stick it out and make money and kind of survive that period you will eventually start to grow and and things will become easier thanks amit thanks amit thanks for reaching out this was such a pleasure i had a wonderful conversation so thanks for giving me this opportunity thanks a lot for doing this i think all your lessons are really inspirational for people who may be wanting to start their own business also for people who are in the journey right now and probably feeling down or kind of beaten up by the world i think it's good to hear from people who've gone through that valley of despair thing hey, startups are not easy it's not meant to be easy but uh, yeah the the uh, output of it or the outcome is going to be good uh, find the right people for the journey i think that's a really important part of it and i think it's more important than the what the who along the journey becomes a lot more important so i think it might make the toughest valley of despair as it talking about a lot easier actually that would be a lesson 7 which is choose your co-journeyers well essentially your co-passengers so thanks again kartik really appreciate you being here with us and for everyone listening thank you for tuning in you'll find the show notes at crazytalk.online as well as a link to flexible if you are looking for great talent maybe that's a place for you to go and find some we'll also share links to some of kartik's other projects uh, where he actually explains a lot about what it is to go through this startup journey and no code and all of that so maybe you'll find all of that useful and do remember to follow or subscribe to our show to listen to more such kind of interesting discussions and please show your appreciation for this really fabulous session with a five star rating so thank you for joining us today we were kartik and amit with shop talk see you next time